Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. I saw a need to prioritize. I saw a company that, again, was hit hard by what happened here, given that salons shut down when the pandemic hit. There are always great lessons in how businesses respond to change, especially when that business makes a major pivot to its business model in the middle of a pandemic. I saw a need to stabilize Regis as a platform, but also figure out what it meant to be a franchisor. So really the first things we started doing is, what can we do to stabilize our house internally? And how do we put the right strategy into navigate at the salon level as a franchisor of hair salons? Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. When you operate as a public company, doing anything major is a challenge and needs to be communicated to shareholders and all stakeholders, especially when that's moving to a fully franchised model. Not easy. There are challenges and misconceptions, but today's guest has come through all of that with flying colors. I'm joined by Matthew Doctor, President, CEO, and a board member of Regis Corporation, which trades under the symbol RGS. Matt joined Regis Corporation in February of 2021 as Chief Strategy Officer before becoming President in 2022. Previously, Matt was a partner and Chief Financial Officer for Kava Restaurants, a Tim Hortons franchisee. Prior to Kava, he held several roles at Restaurant Brands International, owner of the Burger King, Tim Hortons, and Popeye's brands. There, he was head of global development and franchisee performance for Burger King. He led M&A in Asia for Burger King and led all development efforts for Tim Hortons. Matt started his career as an investment banker for J.P. Morgan in New York. We sat down to talk about Matt's career and his incredible work with Regis during a really tricky period. Let's enter the arena with Matthew Doctor. Regis is a 100-year-old company, turned 100 last year uh, in 2022. And uh, we are a franchisor of hair salon brands, 5,400 locations. Uh, we have the largest global network of hair salon brands in the world. If you haven't heard of Regis, you've probably heard of some of our brands. We operate primarily under five large banners. The largest and probably most aware is Supercuts, yep. which we have 2,200 of them. Our next biggest brand is a brand called Smart Style. That is a captive Walmart brand. We're in over 1,500 Walmarts yep. uh, for those shoppers, which makes us one of the largest tenants, if not the largest tenant in Walmart. And then we have some other large brands as well. We have First Choice Haircutters in Canada, which is one of the largest haircut chains in Canada. Uh, we have a regional brand called Cost Cutters. That's a 600-unit chain, and we also have a men's barbershop concept called The Roosters. So those are the five primary operating brands. As I mentioned, 5,400 locations, 600 franchisees, 
This is a business that's been in transition. I mentioned we've been around for 100 years. For 96 years of those 100 years, we predominantly owned and operated our salons. Yep. So we recently undergone and have completed a major transition of our business model to a fully franchise model. That's why we have 600 owners really across the entire U.S., Canada, and really service the value segment uh, of the customer base. Yeah. How do those uh, five brands fit together? Are some going after different demographics or price points? I know that many of the brands have been around for a really long time, but how does that portfolio kind of fit together in your mind? Yeah, no, that's right. There is a very conscious effort about which brand should we have in our portfolio. At what time Regis grew through serial acquisitions as an operating company, ended up having 60 plus brands all regionalized. So when we made the decision to go fully franchise, it was how do we get down to the lowest amount of brands that can service the broadest amount of customers in that value segment? So when we think of supercuts, okay, we checked off a very male-leaning, focused, value-oriented brand. Yep. When you look at our smart style brand, okay, that's captive for the Walmart customer capturing the traffic in that store. Great. And then you start looking at the rest of our portfolio. Those are really more family-leaning, female-focused, more of the chemical color services that really service the value of female segment. So it was really getting down to a base of brands that can have the broadest depth of coverage of our customer base. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. You know, when you first hear about the company or some of the brands in particular that you mentioned, you might think of just haircutting, but you're doing a lot more for the end customer then probably meets the eye. What are some of the services that you're providing across all those brands? No, that's right. It's full range of service. Even in a brand like Supercuts, I think what people don't realize is we actually do service female customers in that brand as well. You can get a color treatment there. You can get a relaxing treatment there. So we offer female-focused items and services within Supercuts. But again, across all of our brands, you can find a broad array of anything you want to do from a hair perspective, color, trim, cut, really anything there, we have you covered for all things as it relates to hair. You have such a, a huge system. You know, if you kind of break it down geographically, generally speaking, where are your franchisees located and what are really the demographics of the customer, the end customer? Yeah, no, it's it's diverse. I mean, and we're we're really spread across the country. I mean, we have some pretty good coverage, heavily concentrated on the coasts, large concentration in the Midwest. I really can't think of an area that we're not where you're talking about a, a platform of 5,400 locations. So we're pretty well covered throughout the U.S. And as I mentioned, kind of the demographics of customer, I do mention value, but when I say that, I just say that from the perspective of a price point. But there's many different types of folks who play into that from a customer segmentation perspective. Anything from someone who's just looking to get their hair done, yep. I don't care, I just want it done by a trained professional, not myself, look good, look bad, whatever, to someone who actually is making money, does care, yep. and it's more of a convenience value for money play. So even though it is a value price point, it really does attract really the gamut of customer. Turning the clock back a couple of years, how did the Regis opportunity come your way? Yeah. And when you kind of walked in, what, what condition was the business in? What did you see? No, it was a, it was a great uh, foray and introduction to my background. I'll just give a little bit yeah, from, from my perspective. You know, finance and franchising. So I started my career as an investment banker, J.P. Morgan in New York. wasn't even in retail. As you mentioned, yeah. I was covering financial institution clients. Looked to do something completely different. Entered the world of franchising and haven't left. I think I bring a really unique perspective to franchising, yep. given that I was on the global franchisor side, running global development, franchisee performance, international expansion for the Burger King brand. 
moved to Canada after the merger with Tim Hortons, ran development efforts there, got to see things from the inside of a global franchisor. Always wanted to be an entrepreneur, never knew I'd have wanted to do it in. Yeah. And after selling the dream of large-scale franchisee ownership for so many years, I was like, this is it. Maybe I can bring my finance background, my background from being inside a franchisor, and give this a go. Me and my partners uh, became the largest Tim Hortons franchisee in the system, scaled to 83 restaurants, saw an opportunity to exit that at the end of 2020. And that's when I found Regis. I actually joined originally as an independent contractor. I was brought in to no help way. wind down the transition. I was thinking about what's next. Yeah. I thought I was going to go down the entrepreneurial route again, yeah. uh, to be quite frank. But after I got here, so we had about 1,200 salons left to transition over to from corporate to franchise. I started peeking around. It was in the midst of the pandemic. And I was like, wow, it has been hit hard, no doubt. Yep. Uh, no doubt about that. But there is an underlying platform here that is incredible. There is a new shift in business model that makes a ton of sense and one that I'm intimately familiar with. There is an industry backdrop, which is awesome. There's a need for this. There's brands that had high-level awareness and penetration throughout the company. There was an unbelievably resilient and passionate team. I got super energized, and I know, you know while there are definitely challenges that were being faced by the pandemic, I wanted to be part of that solution. So that's ultimately why I joined. I saw a need to, to prioritize. I saw a company that, again, was hit hard by what happened here, given that Salon shut down, given that we actually got caught in the middle of that transition from corporate to franchise when the pandemic hit. So what happened there, we were saddled with a bunch of corporate salons that we didn't qualify for the government loans for. So we took major hits on that. So profitability started going deeply negative. We had to draw down major on our revolvers to even navigate the times. Yeah. Cash was being used to navigate. So really, there's a few things. I saw a need to stabilize Regis as a platform, but also figure out what it meant to be a franchisor. So really, the first things we started doing is, what can we do to stabilize our house internally? And how do we put the right strategy into navigate at the salon level as a franchisor of hair salons? What characteristics of the business in your mind, lend itself so nicely to the franchise model versus kind of operating company-owned units? Yeah, there's a few things that we we thought about when, when doing this. We looked at it kind of through two lenses, first one being financial, the other one being operational. Um, from a financial perspective, from a Regis perspective, you know, the strong recurring revenue base, uh, the predictable business model of that revenue stream, the asset-light nature of things and capital-light nature, we were making EBITDA, but a lot of that money was being poured back into the business. So just from a streamlined business perspective, the multiples that proven franchisors trade at, we saw a lot of value creation moving this way. From a unit economics perspective, it works to be a franchise model. So that was attractive for people who want to play this from a franchisee side. But also from an operational front, we looked at it through, this is a high-touch business. Yeah. And we know the benefits of what happens when you have franchisees stewarding high-touch businesses. And there's a level of ownership legitimately and actually operationally that comes along with having these in the hands of localized independent business owners. And that's what we wanted to bring to the table from an operational perspective, given that there's nothing more high-touch than this. You're really dealing with stylists who are putting their hands in and yeah. around your, your face. So there was that element of it too. So financial, operational, and ultimately down the line, you know, the catalyst for growth of this platform. Yeah. I, I love the business kind of going into 2023. I mean, it's one thing, and 
COVID, when stores are shut down and people can't leave their home and all of that, then being in kind of an economic cycle where interest rates are rising or whatever, people have to get their hair cut, yep. right? This is like a really defensive business. Maybe, you know, maybe you go in and you're not getting every treatment, but you're going in, right? Yeah. No, that's 100% right. And that's a lot of the reasons why when I said, hey, attractive industry, this is almost as close as you get to a subscription model without being yeah. an outright subscription model. You know, men come in on average in this segment 10 times a year spending... Subscription-like. Subscription-like, right? Yeah. $280 on average. Women are coming in on average six times a year. So this is something that is recurring and it, is gonna, it is, continues to be recurring. And that is, you know, for all times is a great thing to have. Yeah. Well, listen, you can be in the right place at the right time with the right company, but uh, it's all about execution. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the senior team the changes you've made since you've been aboard, areas that you're looking to invest behind. But uh, talk about the senior team because yeah. that's what it that that's what it takes to make it happen, right? Yeah, I know it's cliche. I know probably everyone has come on here and said you know they're biased and their team is the best. So I'm going to add to that as well. I'm biased and I think the team is the best. Hey, look, you heard my background. I mean, I got placed into the CEO role during a a difficult time, a time of stabilization transition, and it's not a secret that this is a turnaround story. And I absolutely love the team. They made my job, and not just the senior team, the entire Regis organization has made my transition as seamless as possible during a time where it could have been anything but. Yeah. And I think if you look at us, it is a perfect mix of complement of legacy institutional know-how and new folks that have brought in who bring complementary skill sets and franchising. I mean, our CFO here who's with us, Kirsten, been here for close to 16 years. Our COO, Jim Lane, has been here 10. Our head of technical education, 25. And then you start thinking of, okay, the other hires that we brought in. Chief digital officer, been here two years. Ton of knowledge in the franchise salon technology space. Chief marketing officer, brought in from European Wax knows a ton about customer retention, beauty, and franchising. So, you know, legal officer, people officer, both folks from heavy franchise backgrounds. So it's a perfect mix of this complement of legacy folks. We challenge each other. We have no egos. We complement each other. We trust each other. And we're all here to, just for the betterment and success of Regis. It's unlike anything I've been a part of and that keeps me going. Regis has a lot of levers at their disposal to increase profitability over the next five years. I asked Matt what their strategy was for figuring out what to go after first. The biggest thing was prioritizing in a situation that we could have done a ton. So, you know, when it comes to the salon level, driving salon level sales and profitability, we really wanted to ensure that we we're making focused bets. So, and this just doesn't come from our mind. I made a conscious effort to solicit the feedback from all of our franchise partners. They're on the ground. They're running the day-to-day. -day. We may know the roadmap. They know the terrain. So really over the last, call it first part of last year, when I took over as CEO, it was listening. It was listening to what, yeah. what are those bets that we should make that affect the business the most. And it really came down to two key areas of what we need. We need stylists who are trained behind the chair, cutting hair. That is our product. Yep. And we need customers in the seat getting their hair cut to turn that product into revenue. And I challenged uh, the folks. I said, what are the two bets that we can make in each of these arenas that we can own and that we can be the absolute best at in this category where we have a leadership position and in a fragmented market? So the one that it came down from stylist retention and recruitment, our big bet there is on education. And what I mean by that is we can be 
the largest educational in-person platform in the industry between trainers who are going in salon, complemented by digital technology to be able to complement that. We know stylists want this. It is a key consideration coming out of beauty school for people who want this. They're looking for this to start their careers. People who are continuing their careers look for this. And oh, by the way, this forms the basis of our employer value proposition. We talk about investing in people. This is our way of doing it in this industry. And hey, this actually happens to really matter to consumers as well. The two things consumers care about the most is I get a consistent quality haircut and my stylist is perceived to be trained. So this has many threads beyond just driving the recruiting retention story. It's also as a marketing story for consumers as well. So that's a big piece on the recruiting retention front for stylists. The other one I want to be best at was on the consumer traffic front, retention. We have an unbelievable ability to engage with customers on a scale unlike anyone else. So we're starting to really invest in performance marketing, lifecycle marketing, CRM loyalty, to bring a brand level of loyalty to our brands that I think we can own in a way in this industry beyond. Yeah, like in a mom and pop industry, you just have a chance to separate yourself so far from average proprietor that's doing it, which is super exciting. And and listen, Matt, you touched on this before, like every company is becoming or or will be a tech company at some point in the future, right? And I have to think that not only for the benefit of the customers and the stylists, there's there's technology initiatives, but also just for the franchisees and just supporting them in their efforts to, you know, do a great job every day when they wake up and go into work, right? Yeah, that's 100%. So technology adoption, especially in this space, has come a long way through the pandemic. This was historically walk-in, check-in. It wasn't as big. You know, people have to walk-in traffic, put your name up. But like now through COVID has really forced the adoption yeah. of this and so on. So, you know, having the right technology solution can do a number of things. One, create that frictionless experience of getting into a queue and in a salon and doing that in a differentiated way from our competitors. Being able to enable what I talked about from a marketing customer retention perspective, that having that right technology is be able to us to reach out to and continue the engagement with our customers before, during, and after visit, which is so crucial and something we're barely even scratching the surface with. And oh, by the way, just better living through data can make better decisions. And so this is absolutely coming in a big initiative for us uh, over the course of the next year. When you think about the next few years, maybe talk about some of the financial goals you have for the business and what are the KPIs like in your mind that are the most important that you guys pay attention to every day? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the first it's one a big question, maybe isn't the most sexy one, but it's real. I mean, so we just refinanced a credit facility. Yep. It was coming due in March of 2023. We got that runway to go to August uh, of 2025, which is a big deal for us big deal. last year. Yep. Hey, how about staying in compliant uh, on yep. that? So again, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. But the rest is going to relate, again, coming back to, and this is the beauty, coming back to those major initiatives that drive stylist recruiting retention and drive customer traffic. Those are the things that we're going to look at. We're going to monitor things like average hours worked per salon per day as a proxy for stylist recruitment and retention. Yep. We're going to look at 90-day customer retention as a product for traffic and loyalty there. And in turn, that should drive franchisee and salon-level sales, drive franchisee profitability, in turn drives Regis sales and Regis profitability. So those are the things that we're going to keep a keen eye on to ensure that we're moving the leading indicators uh, versus the lagging. You know, you obviously have a lot on your plate in terms of different initiatives. Are there a lot of capex that you need to kind of 
get this stuff done, whether it's technology or in other areas, training, marketing? What what kind of investments do you think yeah. you need to get to the get to the end goal? Yeah, it's it's actually not so much having to go above and beyond from a capex perspective, but really just a streamlining and getting smarter on how we spend our GNA. So yeah. really positioning the organization to deliver on the educational promise and value proposition, utilizing the ad funds we have in a more optimized way to invest in those more performance uh, marketing efforts, lifecycle marketing, education events. So it's not so much to have to go above and beyond and using our capital to do that. It's more just been an allocation strategy of our expenses to really match our KPIs. You have a, a huge footprint as it is with over 5,000 units. When you think about growing salons in the future, have you guys talked publicly about kind of the total addressable market or anything like that? How do you think about adding salons in the future, maybe other brands? Obviously, that's the goal. We want to get back onto that path of net salon growth. First things first, let's focus on getting the business back on track because the one thing that's going to spur that net salon growth is the right unit economic at the franchisee level. And given what this business has been through, given the transition, we are still in the midst of everything that I'm talking about is used to optimize the economics of those four walls for the salon. So that's where our focus is going to be placed for the next year or so. And then the conversation gets a lot easier. But from that standpoint, absolutely. We think we have ability to not only grow the brands uh, that we have, that was another benefit of going to the franchise model. We now have 600 independent local operators who can help spur that growth with us in our current brands. But you had mentioned, hey, are there other brands or ancillary things out there as well? And that's what gets me really excited when we think about what's the catalyst for the future. Absolutely. This is a platform that can be used and scaled for ancillary services, diversification of portfolio and services. And oh, by the way, you know, new products by way of kind of brands that we have we're heavily concentrated in the value space. There's no reason why we don't have the credibility and wherewithal to bring something into mid to high-end markets that will actually go a long way to spur that growth as well. I would have to imagine if you get that right, you have the ability to allocate capital for shareholders uh, through M&A and other things. And there's a lot of CEOs who maybe spent their career in franchising and all of that. But having the banker experience, you kind of get the value creation piece of it, which is so critical. And I have to think you're seeing something well into the future that could be substantially larger than it is today, right? Absolutely. I'm not trying to lose sight of what's yeah, in front yeah. of us. No, you I know, get it. But, I get but, it. but that being said, that stuff does excite me. That stuff has a ton of potential for value creation. It is in our minds, in the back of my mind for sure. And it'll be a fun day when we get there. Yeah, for sure. Are there common mistakes that companies make when they're franchisors that just kind of screw everything up. Like they just kind of, you look at it and you're like, why are they doing this? What what are some common mistakes that you've been able to stay away from that you see others make, regardless of the industry that they're franchising in? Yeah, you know, it it's comes down to putting the franchisor first above all else is a mistake. Doing things yeah. strictly for our sake, for Regis's sake, for any franchisor's sake, that's a mistake. It always starts, and I'm sure you've heard this before. I know you heard it, but it's cliche, but it's true. It always starts with looking out what is best for the franchisee from all aspects. I've seen mistakes in trying to be too aggressive on certain contracts, uh, being too aggressive to holding people to think. Having been a franchisee, yeah. experiencing on the other side, it's one thing that 
you know, that, that was a lesson that you don't get. Like now I get it, right? I was able to see, okay, if I'm looking at a franchisee's profit margins and their labor for the month and it spiked up, I realized that could really be due to someone called out because their son or daughter's like, there's a really real things that effectuate those things. And I need th- and we have to be empathetic that franchisees are not trying to do anything to the detriment of the franchisor. They're just trying to survive and make yeah. money and maximize their business. So anything, And have a nice life. So anything they do shouldn't be perceived as like they're going against us. They're doing it for a reason that's usually to maximize their business. So we need to listen to that. And we're not perfect at it. Yeah, you know, We're in transition. But putting the franchisee first and ensuring we're doing what we can to optimize their business and keep that at the forefront of our minds yeah. uh, is, is the biggest thing that I'm trying to bring and keep there and avoid the, the other mistakes. Yeah, and by, by the way, not easy. Matt, when you sit down with uh, with shareholders or potential shareholders, even more importantly, I've been in a million meetings with companies where the guy on the other side of the table or the woman on the other side of the table is really quiet. And I always think that means they're either really smart or they don't get it at all. But <laughs> when you sit down with a shareholder and you kind of feel like they don't understand the value in the business, what do you think they miss about Regis? Yeah. It's clear that so much has happened. Yeah. And it's about packaging all that together and what that means. If you look at the headlines that have come out for us, transition to fully franchise business model, okay. Probably revenue going down, right? Revenue growing up. As I was, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that transition. GNA guidance seems to come out a bunch. Wait, they had a proprietary uh, POS system. Now they don't. Wait, they sold this uh, tech business. Credit facility is coming due. They just got it done. They, they just turned a corner. Yes, you do a screen. Oh, man, there's a bunch of lease obligations, but that's actually serviced by the franchisee, so it's a pass-through. Revenue is looks like it's massively declining, but really, that's not the main metric. That's a good thing. At royalty yeah. revenue, right? So I think the biggest miss is, and it's on us, we, we need to do a better job of this, and that's kind of why we're here and on these efforts, is putting together what all of that means for the investor that, hey, we did all of this to stabilize ourselves. We've turned the corner on profitability. We have initiatives in place that we feel great about, and that's why it's an exciting business. Regis has a great story that most people don't know about. It's a business that was founded over 100 years ago and is now a leader in hair services across the U.S. and Canada. Today, they've got a strategic brand portfolio. They've made significant progress getting towards fully franchised from a split from company-owned and franchised, and they have strong subscription-like revenues with a huge total addressable market. They're in a great position. Now, welcome to the arena. We're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Matthew Doctor for joining me on the show today. He and his incredible team have helped Regis develop and execute a great plan and they've got a big runway ahead. We'll be watching Regis, and I'm looking forward to having Matt back on the show for an update. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. 
all investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.